I'm Tavis Smiley, and uh, we are pleased to have you hanging out with us today on our program as we commence Hour 2 here in just a moment, in case you have not heard yet. Uh, the Oscar nominations were announced this morning, and um, we will not have Oscars so white this time around. As a matter of fact, I'm seeing stories everywhere now. Hollywood is bragging on itself. Uh, this year, there is Oscar diversity. People of color are nominated in every single acting category. Not a single acting category this year without some color in it, without some diversity in it, and all kinds of folk are making history, uh, including uh, Coleman Domingo, um, Jodie Foster, and others. So here's the rundown of the uh, African-American nominees that you might be interested to hear about. Sterling K. Brown, nominated uh, for American Fiction. You've not seen that film. It's an amazing, amazing project. Um, Sterling K. Brown, nominated uh, for American Fiction in the Best Supporting Actor category. Um, uh, Danielle Brooks, uh, nominated in the Supporting Actress category for The Color Purple. Uh, Jeffrey Wright and Coleman Domingo, both nominated for Best Actor nominations. Jeffrey Wright for uh, the aforementioned American fiction film alongside his partner, uh, Sterling K. Brown. That's amazing because the first time in a long time um, that there were two black actors uh, in the same film nominated for actor and supporting actor. Uh, so Jeffrey Wright. Uh, best Actor for American Fiction, Sterling K. Brown, Supporting Actor for American Fiction. And then there's Coleman Domingo, nominated for Best Actor uh, for his role as Bayard Rustin. Bayard Rustin is finally getting his love, finally getting his respect. So Coleman Domingo nominated for Best Actor for uh, for his role as uh, Bayard Rustin. Um, uh, as far as films, American Fiction is nominated for Best Picture. That's That's a big deal. Uh, but they did not nominate the black director of American fiction, but they did nominate his adapted screenplay. Um, so just a quick uh, rundown uh, on some of the uh, nominees for the Academy Awards. Of course, their nominations are uh, being talked about everywhere now. So you can Google it and get all the list uh, of everybody. But those are the ones I wanted to bring to your attention right quick. So we will not have uh, an Oscars so white protest this year, given that in every acting category there is some diversity including the first native american woman ever nominated for a best actor uh uh, uh nomination but nominated for a best actor award i should say uh for martin scorsese's film killers of the flower moon so it's a bit more diverse this year than in years past and i think that's good news that said i am pleased now uh to commence this uh second hour uh that i've been um, delighted and, and waiting uh, on um, getting into. Uh, our guest is renowned author Adam Schatz, and I'm uh, anxious to delve into the complex life and ideas of France Fanon, uh, courtesy of Adam uh, Schatz's latest book, uh, which offers some profound insights into the legacy of this influential black thinker who yet inspires today's movements for social and racial justice. Adam Schatz calls him an intellectual hero, an intellectual, an intellectual celebrity, I should say. An intellectual celebrity. We'll unpack that. Uh, Adam Schatz, good to have you on this program. Congrats on the book, sir. How are you today? I'm well, and thanks for having me. It's my great delight. I've been looking forward to this dialogue. I was joking with a friend of mine a day or two ago. Um, there are a couple names uh, that, that, that you should, uh, you should, uh, that you should uh, go to uh, when giving a speech if you want to sound really, really smart. <laughs> and one of those names that you can go to, if you want if you want to sound smart, just quote Franz Fanon. And everybody, of course, goes to the wretched <laughs> of the earth. I mean, everybody goes there, right? The wretched of the earth. But if you can weave Franz Fanon into your presentation, you will impress the audience. They will, you will sound really, really smart. And I, I, I say that jokingly, but, that, but that's also in part true, which leads me to ask, how did this brother, how did Franz Fanon become such an intellectual celebrity, as you call him? 
I mean, it, it is kind of an incredible story. I mean, he's uh, he's a guy who was born in Martinique in, in 1925, fights with uh, the Free French Forces against uh, fascism during the Second World War, ends up in France studying psychiatry, and then in 53 he goes to Algeria, and a year later he joins the Algerian rebellion against French rule and becomes this really um, influential figure, a spokesman for the Algerian National Liberation Movement. He was relatively well-known among radical circles when he was alive. And remember, he, he died when he was 36 years old mm-hmm. in Bethesda, Maryland. Yep. But it was after his death that he became a celebrity. And the crazy thing about this story, too, is that he was basically resurrected by black Americans. Mm. We'll talk about his celebrity after death and being resurrected by African Americans. Um, let me tell you where I want to start, though. We've already started. Let me tell you where I, where I want to go next. I'm looking at my clock here. If I if I ask you this question now, it won't be fair, Adam, because I have to cut you off. And I don't want to do that. So let me just let me frame where I want to go, and when we come forward, we'll let you sink your teeth into this. So I want to I want to I want to uh, go to his childhood. I, I want to get a better understanding of the backstory. It seems to me that we can jump to his 30, being 36 and, and, and dying too soon. We can talk about how he became a celebrity after his death and how black folk were involved in that uh, renaissance, that resurrection uh, uh, of his work and witness, if you will. Um, but I want to I I understand who he was uh, growing up uh, and get a better understanding of the backstory to Frantz Fanon. Adam Schatz's book is called The Rebel's Clinic, a new biography of the psychiatrist and revolutionary Frantz Fanon, which aims to restore complexity to a man both revered and reviled for his militancy. We will get into that. Uh, the revered, uh, his being revered and being reviled. A lot to talk about in this hour. You're going to learn a lot about France Fanon if you stick around to Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Smiley continues when we come forward. 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 He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. I was uh, joking with our guest in this hour, Adam Schatz, author of the new book, The Rebels Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives of France Fanon. We'll unpack that title in just a second. I got a question about that. But I was joking with Adam a moment ago that if you want to sound smart when you give a speech, just quote France Fanon. Um, uh, everybody goes to the wretched of the earth. If you quote Fanon, you're going to sound really uh, smart in your in your, um, in your your presentation. Uh, and speaking of smart, I have a really, really smart audience, Adam, and it doesn't take long for people to correct me when I make a mistake. Um, it turns out <laughs> that I overlooked uh, an African-American nominated for one of the major awards. I ran that list, and somehow I did not mention Divine Joy <laughs> Randolph, who is a black actress uh, in The Holdovers opposite Paul Giamatti. I love Paul Giamatti. Uh, but Divine Joy Randolph is a black actress in The Holdovers, and she is also nominated for a Supporting Actor Award. So uh, there's another sister who I did not intend to slight by not mentioning her name. Uh, in the list of those persons who've been nominated for Academy Awards. I won't repeat the list again right now. I'll do it again at the top of the last hour uh, in case you missed it. Uh, but Divine Joy Randolph, we uh, want to add her name to that list of these great actors, these great thespians who were nominated for Academy Awards this year. Uh, and so there you have it. Uh, sorry, uh, Ms. Randolph, that I overlooked you in my list of, of, uh, of black nominees this time around. That's it. Back to back to Adam Schatz. Um, so, Adam, I, I said a moment ago that I want to, uh, sort of back this thing up a bit and understand more about the upbringing of, of Frantz Fanon. Before I do that, though, the book is called, as I said, The Rebels Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives, plural, of Frantz Fanon. Um, obviously, you meant something by that title, The Revolutionary Lives, plural, of Frantz Fanon. 
Sure, and I mean something by the Rebels Clinic. And the, the point, basically, is that Fanon's thinking about racism, mental health, domination, resistance, liberation, it all takes shape in his work with patients. This man is a psychiatrist, and you can't read him uh, without remembering that. Um, and as far as lives goes, um, you know, Fanon is involved in several revolutions. He's involved in uh, the resistance to fascism. He's involved in a psychiatric revolution uh, in France, which he then imports to Algeria. He takes part in the Algerian War of Liberation, and he becomes quite active in African independence struggles as the traveling ambassador of the FLN stationed in Accra. So I just wanted to underline the plurality of Fanon's existence. Yeah. Um, it occurred to me, um, going through your text, uh, preparing for this conversation, and I've been reading, you know, Fanon and obviously been exposed to him for, for years, but something hit me the other day and I, I kind of felt stupid, uh, Adam, uh, frankly, when it hit me, cause I hadn't actually processed this before that one of our great intellectuals, um, this intellectual celebrity, as you call it, there I'm clearly is there's Du Bois. No, you can't, you can't have a list of brilliant mm -hmm. black intellectuals without Du Bois on the list. The first African-American to get a PhD from Harvard. So you have to have Du Bois on the list. But when you think about Fanon, it occurred to me just a couple of days ago that this noted uh, intellectual celebrity that you uh, write about uh, was, in fact, a psychiatrist. I mean, you think of all the ways in which inside the black community there, there are still these issues with mental health. Uh, people are still skittish about talking about it. it it's it's a it's it's a third rail still in many respects. But our most one of our most noted intellectuals was was a psychiatrist who, to your point, came to um, his um, his his uh, his views in part born of his interactions with his patients. Does that make sense? I mean, it's it's an it's an it's, for me it's an interesting irony. Does it make sense to you? It makes sense to me completely, and, you know, he's not alone. I mean, he had peers in the United States, uh, like Richard Wright, mm -hmm. you know, who helped to found uh, the Lafargue Clinic, which was a mental health clinic in Harlem in the 1940s. And, you know, Fanon was not aware that he established that clinic, but he knew Richard Wright's work, and he mm -hmm. quoted it extensively. Yeah. Just amazing. Uh, again, I put a just put a final point on it and move forward. Uh, you have these great um, intellectuals in black history like Richard Wright and Frantz Fanon. Um, and we don't often often enough times remind ourselves of their connection to mental health. It's not something we ought to be ashamed of, afraid of uh, addressing or talking about or acknowledging. If it's good enough for Fanon, it's good enough for Richard Wright, it's good enough for Tavis Smiley and you. I digress as we move forward. All right, Adam Shash, take me back to, uh, to Franz Fanon's upbringing. I want to understand, I understand the backstory of this guy. Sure. You know, Fanon is born in 1925 in the capital of, of Martinique, Port-au-France, and he's, he's raised in a, in a middle-class family that uh, could afford servants and, and piano lessons. It wasn't wealthy, but it was certainly comfortable. Um, and he grew up thinking of himself as French. The first three words that Fanon learned to write were je suis français, I am French. He was taught that his ancestors were the Gauls. Now his ancestors were not the Gauls, his ancestors were from Africa. Mm. So he's growing up kind of being internally colonized by this French ideology that is treating all of these people in Martinique as if they're basically white people with black skins. And uh, But then he starts to experience this disillusionment with that idea when he joins the French army. Um, and he finds out that it's a colonial army. He finds out that there's a hierarchy, 
that he's treated as an honorary European because he's West Indian, but the Africans and the Arabs are treated very differently. Mm. And then after the war, he's in France, and he's helped to liberate that country, and he can't get a, he can't get a white woman to dance with him. And then finally, he returns after the war to study psychiatry, and he has this shattering experience where he's on a train, and he sees this white boy with his mother, and the white boy says, Look, maman, a negre, a negro. Mm. And Fanon realizes, oh my God, in the eyes of this little boy, I'm an object of terror and fascination. He's, and he associates me with things like cannibalism and violence and so on. And it's shattering recognition for him because he'd always thought of himself as a French man of color and realizes, no, in their eyes, I'm a black man and I'm subject to the same kind of racism that Africans are. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a story beautifully told. And yet I'm still stuck on the very beginning of the story. And this phrase, I knew this was going to happen. I got my pen in my hand for those who are watching me right now. Uh, you talk to Adam Schatz, you got to write fast, man, because this guy's dropping, he's dropping bars and using phrases that I just love. I love how he turns a phrase. I'm still stuck, Adam, on that phrase, internally colonized. I, 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 could, I could give a speech on that, and I think I will somewhere down the road, uh, because that is something that so many of us who are listening right now still wrestle with. So many of us. It's a beautiful phrase from Adam Schatz. I'm going to own it in about three months, but I love it. Internally colonized. Uh, ooh, I could, just, I could just spend an hour or two talking about the struggle that so many of us have because we are internally colonized. Um, tell me more about how Fanon broke out of that internal colonization? Well, he broke out of it um, ultimately as a, as a soldier, um, as a doctor, um, and finally as a member of a National Liberation Army that was fighting uh, French rule in Algeria, which was France's, uh, which was the jewel in the crown of the French Empire. In fact, Algeria was not even considered a colony. Mm -hmm. It had been after being conquered, it had been turned into an administrative part of France, divided into three departments. So um, he challenged that internal colonization, as it were, um, by fighting it. Um, but it went very deep with him. I mean, he writes in Black Skin, White Masks about essentially being taught to identify with whites. He would go to a film. Who would he identify with? Would he identify with Tarzan, or would he identify with the people in the jungle? He identified with Tarzan. You know, it was this insidious process by which he was taught to think of himself as no different from any other French person, when mm. the reality was he would never be accepted as such. Mm. I, I, I suspect the latter reality, that he would never be accepted as such, in part doesn't uh, or, 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 or precludes him from falling prey to that. What I'm getting at is there are kind of black folk in this country and around the globe who find themselves in the same situation that Fanon was in, and they end up going to the dark side, as it were. But he that, that's not where he ends up. And I'm fascinated by the ways in which um, he ends up being comfortable with the skin that he's in, if I can put it that way. Well, it was a process. And, yeah. and although Fanon, Fanon didn't really write a memoir, he talks about how difficult that ordeal was for him in Black Skin, White Mask, which was his first book published in 1952 when he was 27, a book that, by the way, um, has many parallels with Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk. I mean, the idea of double consciousness is not in Fanon, but it's implicit. And uh, what he, what he uh, uh, talks about in that book is how, for a period of time, uh, 
once he discovered that he was black, he began to embrace the French philosophy, the black consciousness philosophy of negritude, and started to think of himself as having unique poetic powers, of, of having a kind of mystical relationship to his identity. Eventually, he moves away from that, Very, still very proud to be black, but no longer enchanted by, by nationalism. It, you know, he, t- he moves more towards a kind of social justice ideology, mm-hmm. which is actually not that different from what Du Bois ends up embracing in his latter years when he ends up in, in, in Ghana. There, there, there are some interesting parallels between the two figures. T- t- tell me more. I mean, now you got me titillated. T- tell me about, th- about these parallels. Well, I mean, in the, in the sense that, you know, Fanon, like Du Bois, is very interested in the psychic damage that racism inflicts mm-hmm. on black people. Mm-hmm. And also the psychic damage that it inflicts on the oppressor. Um, he's a, very much a person um, of the left. He also thinks about race in international terms. Um, du Bois, you know, becomes very much an internationalist in the 30s and 40s, and that comes into full blossom by the time uh, he dies. You know, he is a persona non grata in the United States. He's in permanent exile. You know, he's joined the Communist Party. And Fanon, too, is forced to leave France. He would have been arrested, if not executed, for his involvement in the Algerian national liberation struggle. He chooses to live instead in Tunisia and in Ghana. So, there are some rather striking parallels. Yeah. Um, to your point, Du Bois eventually just gave up on America uh, and went to Accra and spent his remaining days uh, in Ghana. Uh, I, I've had the honor of being in that house where Du Bois lived. It's now the Du Bois Museum, as you know, uh, built uh, in the house and around the house. Uh, my first time there, I uh, remember like it was yesterday when you mentioned it, I just got goosebumps. Um, I was a kid and Maya Angelou took me, mm. to, Maya Angelou took me to Ghana with her. And I literally, uh, for 10, 12 days, just walked around carrying her bags. <laughs> but it was such an honor <laughs> as a kid to just hang out with Maya Angelou uh, in Ghana. And she was there to give the annual Du Bois lecture at the Du Bois home and museum. And everybody came in to hear her. Miriam Makiba came in and Hugh Masekela came and Stokely Carmichael, who was then Kwame Ture, came and John Henry Clark came from Harlem. Everybody came to uh, went back to Ghana to hear Maya give this major, major uh, address. Uh, and it just um, it just hit me so hard as a young person sitting there taking all this in with all these people around me that Du Bois just gave up on America, went to Ghana. Another uh, factoid that I always find interesting, um, uh, the announcement of Du Bois's death in Accra was made at the March on Washington. Um, how's that mm-hmm. for how's that for a moment? I mean, they're in the middle of the march on Washington. A. Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin, who I mentioned earlier, played by Colvin Domingo, now today nominated for an Academy Award for playing Bayard Rustin. These dots connect in fascinating ways. I love it. Um, uh, so the <laughs> the announcement is made um, at the march on Washington by A. Philip Randolph uh, that uh, our great here, our great hero, our great leader, uh, W. B. Du Bois, has passed away. Uh, in Accra, Ghana. Just some interesting uh, facts that I, I'm sharing because they're popping into my head. Um, t- tell me, tell me, tell and me. One year, and one sure. and one and one year after Du Bois's death, Fanon too dies and dies and dies in D.C. Yeah. And uh, Fanon, you know, Fanon and Du Bois addressed the same conference of black writers and artists in Paris in 1956. Look, I, love I mean, both both were both were very much a part of a kind of African. And Pan-African internationalism. I love these parallels. I love these parallels. Tell me more about uh, uh, Fanon's social justice advocacy. That's a phrase now that we use all the time, social justice. But then, tell me a bit more, frame for me better, his social justice advocacy. 
Well, you know, Fanon's uh, principal commitment was to the cause of overthrowing colonialism. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in Alge- he arrived in Algeria in late 1953 as the administrator of a psychiatric hospital. I mean, imagine that. He's 28 years old and he's running a hospital um, in Algeria. But he's there as a colonial administrator because France had this policy of sending uh, sending accomplished West Indians to its other colonies, to parts of the Arab world, to Africa, to serve as the shining examples of how great France was. Um, but Fanon already was already harbored anti-colonial convictions, and 11 months into his stay in Algeria, the, the rebellion breaks out. These young men, whom Fanon fiercely identifies with, take up arms and uh, declare that Algeria belongs to the Algerians, to the Algerian Muslim majority, and not to the settlers who've occupied the country since 1830. And Fanon is electrified by this rebellion. He even offers to fight with them. But the Algerians decide that he's much more useful as a doctor. Mm. And uh, he sets up a clandestine clinic. He treats wounded fighters. He becomes deeply involved in the rebellion, so much so that he's eventually... Uh, forced to leave the country or else face the consequences. And Fanon's principal role in that struggle is as a spokesman and as someone who articulated the goals of the Algerian Revolution uh, to people um, in other parts of the world, the European left, but also African independence leaders. And when he's in Tunisia, he becomes very close to people like Patrice Lumumba. Mm-hmm. There's a name for you, Lumumba. Um, This is getting good, as we say around here. When we come forward, so much more to talk to uh, Adam Schatz about. His book is called The Rebels Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives of France Fanon. Um, This brilliant uh, black intellectual uh, who uh, Adam Schatz calls, uh, in fact, an intellectual celebrity. Everybody's quoting Fanon these days. Uh, When we come forward, a lot more to uh, unpack here. I want to start, I think, with, and I could have done this 30 minutes ago, but why psychiatry? Why psychiatry for France Fanon? I want to get into that. And as I said earlier, he uh, has been and is both revered and reviled for his militancy. We'll talk about the revering part and the reviling part. It's a great conversation with Adam Schatz right now on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. You are indeed, and I'm thrilled about it. Um, Our guest in this hour that I'm equally thrilled about is Adam Schatz. His book is called The Rebel's Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives of France Fanon. Uh, And so we are learning a a great deal more than we've known heretofore about this brilliant uh, black intellectual uh, who uh, Adam Schatz once again calls an intellectual celebrity. Indeed, everybody is quoting Fanon. We haven't gotten to the wretched of the earth yet. We'll get to that a little bit later in this conversation. Um, But it occurs to me there are a couple of things I could have asked earlier, but the conversation just took off and, you know, I'm I'm following you uh, through this hour. But let me just just pause for a second or pivot or or U-turn for that matter. And ask you, Adam Schatz, what I could have uh, asked at the start of this conversation, why for you, Fanon? I mean, I'm always fascinated about why and how people do what they do. Why Fanon for you as a subject? Well, I chose Fanon for a few reasons. I mean, for one thing, you know, I started, I, I, I actually wrote about Fanon for the first time in about 2001. I reviewed the last major biography of Fanon. But it kind of, it goes back to my to my childhood, actually. Um, as a, my, my father had a, a library in the in the in the basement of um sort of left left wing literature um and he had original copies the grove editions 
of black skin, white masks, and the wretched of the earth, mm. and along with the autobiography of Malcolm X and other books. And I was, I was fascinated by the image of Fanon on the jacket of black skin, white masks. He was this Natalie dressed guy with this grave expression on his face. And the story, his story, um, uh, just uh, startled me. Here was this West Indian psychiatrist who'd gone to Algeria to support the rebels. What was the story there? Mm-hmm. And you know, when I finally got around to uh, reading Fanon when I was in when I was in college and I was in a French class, um, there's a, that story about the boy in the train uh, resonated powerfully with me because I, you know, although. You know, I'm not a black man. I'm a white guy. Um, but I had, I had rather uh, upsetting experience of anti-Semitism when I was a kid, when I was mm-hmm. about nine years old. Mm-hmm. And some kids were throwing change on the floor for me, um, and they had been friends of mine. And I was startled because I wasn't even reli- I was not from a religious family. We weren't mm-hmm. Zionists. Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience of being fixed like a die that Fanon talks about, of beginning to look at yourself through the eyes of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was describing an experience that I had had, different, not the same as the experience of racism, but an experience that I could uh, that I could understand. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of struck by just the power of of his work. And another reason that I, you know, was drawn to Fanon is that as a journalist, um, I ended up writing a lot about the Palestinian struggle for independence and spending a lot of time in Palestine, where Fanon is, is widely read mm-hmm. among intellectuals. And I kept coming upon Fanon, and also in Algeria, because I spent a lot of time in Algeria as well. So all roads seemed to lead to Fanon, and he connected so many interests that I had. And that's why, ultimately, I decided to write a book about him. Mm-hmm. And, I also felt, and, I also, and I also felt that Fanon had been treated as a kind of... Um, you know, as a kind of poster icon. Uh, he'd been, you know, Fanon writes in Black Skin, White Masks that his greatest wish is to be seen as nothing but a man. Mm. But he's never seen that way. Mm. And I thought, well, no one's really done that for Fanon. He always, there's something always a little bit either reverential or uh, vilifying about the portraits of him. He doesn't seem like a man. And I thought, well, that's a story that's yet to be told. I got 10 questions in my head. Let me go as fast as I can right quick, based on what you just said. The first is, um, to what extent um, does his or has his iconography gotten in the way of us seeing about him what you want us to see? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, uh, because I think that, you know, there are those who revere him as if he were a prophet rather than a brilliant but also flawed man who mm-hmm. died when he was 36. And there are those who who uh, despise him. And, and, and they, they talk about Fanon as though he's responsible for more deaths than Henry Kissinger, who actually was responsible mm-hmm. for hundreds of thousands of deaths. I mean, it's... And I, and I do think that the reason that so much of the commentary about Fanon fixates on violence is that he was a black man who supported armed resistance and self-defense. I think he's subject to the same kind of treatment that Malcolm X has been subject to. Wow. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Um, Wow. Let me, let me process that for a second. Um, I mean, Fanon wrote about so many things and yet reading some of the reviews in my own book, even the positive ones, you'd think that the only thing that Fanon ever wrote about was, Killing the settler, mm-hmm. and and I'm not naive in asking this, and you you won't give me a naive response. Why do you think that is? 
For the reason that, well, for the for the reason that I was just suggesting, that I think that there is a deep fear in the white unconscious of black violence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think so. I, I I do think that even if it's not intentionally racist, I do think it arises out of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of racism, um, you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, that Fanon is widely read uh, in Palestine. Uh, I think I get that, but tell me more about why they love reading about Fanon in Palestine. Well, for a number of reasons. I mean, and, and this and this interest goes back many years. In the early 1960s, one of the leaders of the PLO, Abu Iyad, uh, was reading him uh, in Lebanon. Um, and uh, we don't know whether Yasser Arafat read 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 um, read read Fanon, but but Edward Said, uh, the great Palestinian American oh, yes. intellectual, certainly mm-hmm. did. Uh, wrote extensively and rather and, and quite brilliantly about Fanon. And in more recent years, he's become, I think, a very important figure for Palestinian psychiatrists who are studying things like the traumatic effects of war, um, the traumatic effects of torture. Um, Fanon has been interesting to Palestinians for a number of reasons. I think, you know, originally it was his emphasis on on acquiring some kind of identity, acquiring a taste of power, of collective power, uh, via armed struggle against um, one's oppressor. Um, but I think that that interest has developed in other directions, including as you know, as just as I just mentioned, uh, Fanon's very sensitive work on the effects of torture, humiliation, and other offenses to dignity, both uh, you know, body and mind. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also that, you know, that Fanon is seen as someone who was a voice of the third world, you know, as it used to be called. Now, I guess we call it the Global South. Um, But Fanon is, you know, is a great intellectual hero of that region. Um, Why? uh, Why psychiatry for, for Fanon? Yes, like I mean, it's interesting. You know, Fanon did not set out to become a psychiatrist. And, And in fact, when he was in medical school, uh, in Lyon, the, in the mid-late mid, mid 1940s, he originally thought he might become a dentist. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had great literary aspirations. He wanted to be a poet or a playwright. He wrote three plays, two of which survive. Um, but he was, you know, in, in a sense, his literary interest led him to psychiatry. I mean, who, whom is he drawing upon in his uh, writings on the black psyche in black skin, white masks. It's Chester Himes and Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. It's literature. Mm-hmm. He's interested in the what he calls the lived experience of racism. What is it like to inhabit a black body in a racist white majority society? Now he has this experience as a doctor, just as an ordinary doc, an ordinary practitioner. That, in my view, leads him to psychiatry. He's visiting the homes of North African laborers in Lyon. These are Algerian men living far from their homes, sending money back to their wives. They're isolated. They're alone. uh, They're poor. They're segregated. They're sleeping seven to a room. And he goes to visit them, and they can't point to their, their physical ailment. They feel very sick, but they don't have an obvious lesion. And French doctors had said, oh, it's just the North African syndrome, as in they're hallucinating, they're, per- they're just offering an excuse not to work, they're lazy. And, you know, Fanon reaches a very different conclusion. He writes this brilliant essay, it's one of the first essays he publishes in 1952 called The North African Syndrome. And his argument is that this idea of a North African syndrome is a product of a racist French psychiatry. What do these men suffer from? Why do they feel so ill? 
it's because racism has made them sick. Mm. And I think that's a key insight in Fanon's work, work, that racism itself is a kind of pathology, it's a kind of sickness, and colonialism as well. I mean, he's interested in the political, the, the psychological effects of political oppression. And that's one of the reasons why groups like the Black Panthers in the late 60s take such a keen interest in Fanon. They start to apply Fanon in their mental health, in their, in their yeah. public health clinics. I say all the time, I leave the studio every day a lot smarter than when I came in. Today, I'm going to leave a whole lot smarter than I came in. Courtesy of this conversation with Adam Schatz, his book is called The Rebel's Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives of Franz Fanon. I've got more for him when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, Tavis Smiley, ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. I think the greatest compliment I can give Adam Schatz on this book, The Rebel's Clinic, not that he needs it from me, but my greatest compliment um, is perhaps that he allows us to see and wrestle with uh, Franz Fanon's humanity. Uh, not his iconography and not his intellectual celebrity status, but his humanity. Uh, and um, he does that brilliantly in this book called The Rebel's Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives of Franz um, Fanon. Um, I'm, still, I'm still wrestling with and processing and thinking about your story of the boy on the train. Uh, and I guess my question is, what do we take away from Fanon about how we, how do I want to phrase this? What do we take away from Fanon about how we process our way through those moments when we come to terms or are forced to come to terms with the way others see us? Does that make sense? It, it does. And, um, you know, that's a, a very tough question. Um, I don't think that Fanon provides anything like a guide to how an individual caught in such a situation should respond at that moment in time. I mm-hmm. think, you know, and, I'll, and I'll, I think that the story of Fanon in Algeria might give you a sense of what where Fanon's thinking lay on these issues. Sure. You know, he had been in Algeria for three years, and in 1956, he writes a letter to the resident governor, the resident minister, the governor general, the French, the French uh, official who presided over uh, the governance of, of Algeria, and he said that, um, you know, I can no longer practice here. I can no longer do my work because I'm living in a kind of racial colonial madness, essentially, and that the only way in which these psychological complexes, these attitudes can be overcome is if there is a radical social transformation. There has to be an end to French rule. And I think that, generally speaking, that's where Fanon's thinking lies. He believes that there are not individual psychological solutions to large-scale political and social problems. That little boy on the train had been raised as a kind of racial expert by his own society. I mean, he's, he may be an individual, but he reflects something much deeper and something much larger. We call yeah. it structural racism, called white supremacy. I mean, we have a lot of different ways of describing it. Um, but um, collective, collective problems require collective solutions. I think that's what Fanon's yeah. belief was. One great intellectual, uh, Fanon, uh, calls it a radical social transformation. 
another great intellectual name, Martin Luther King Jr., called it a radical revolution of values. Whether you call it a radical social transformation or a radical revolution of values, you end up at the same place. Uh, our remaining moments with Adam Schatz when we come forward on Tavis Smile. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. I wish I had more time, Adam Schatz. Uh, there is some stuff I really wanted to get to in this hour. We've covered a lot of ground, and that's why I, the book is is there for people to read. It's called The Rebels Clinic, a revolutionary The Revolutionary Lives of France Fanon. Uh, I didn't get time to get to um, uh, this this duality of uh, of Fanon believing in violence on the one hand, while also practicing a commitment to healing on the other hand as a psychiatrist. And I've seen the difficulty that some of your reviewers have had wrestling with uh, his belief that violence uh, is, in fact, a cleansing force. I know you have a, a, a different uh, a spin on that on that term or that phrase, cleansing force. But maybe some other time we we'll get to all that. Let me let me I got three or four minutes left here. <laughs> let me. Uh, that's what I didn't get to. That's what I didn't get to in this. Hour. Let, let me let me just ask you uh, two or three things right quick in these four minutes. Um, why do you think all these years later we are so fascinated still by France Fanon? I think we're fascinated by France Fanon because he was an extraordinarily visionary uh, analyst of the modern soul and philosopher of freedom. I mean, in that regard, I think he did have something in common with figures like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the fixation on, on violence leads us away from his incredibly deep perceptions into the experience of racism and to um, and to what it's like for people to inhabit uh, coercive and confined settings. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fanon is you know Fanon is writing about ex- about a world that has crumbled. We don't live any longer in the world of colonial empires, colonial European empires, but that world has cast a vast shadow over our own world. We live in a world of enormous economic inequalities. Uh, There's a vast divide between the rich and the poor world. Um, Read about the treatment of, you know, of, of, of refugees. I mean, refugees arguably are today's wretched of the earth. You know, Fanon was someone who was acutely aware of issue, the issue of human dignity. Mm -hmm. And that's what connects him to these great black thinkers like, Du Bois, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King. Yep. Let me ask you right quick, um, um, two minutes to go here. Um, why, I think I get it, um, why is it that it, it, it certainly appears to me uh, that the book that most of us uh, tend to quote or reference when we quote Fanon is The Wretched of the Earth? What is it about that text that everybody that is, that is the go-to for everybody, essentially? Well, it's, it's the go-to book because it was written um, as a manifesto. It was a written um, to... Uh, inspire uh, anti-colonial revolutionaries throughout the underdeveloped world to take up arms against their oppressors. But I think that, you know, what some people um, over they, people overlook a couple of very important things. For one thing, uh, Fanon is very concerned with obviously dismantling the colonial system. But he's just as concerned about putting something better in its place, mm-hmm. and he writes presciently about the oppressive systems of uh, set up by what he calls the national bourgeoisie. He saw far in advance the kind of corrupt autocratic regimes that would emerge in parts of Africa and the Arab world. Yeah. He was incredibly prescient. 
Um, he also, I think, and this is another thing that is extraordinary, Fanon warned that no revolution can be driven by hatred, revenge, and racism. Mm. But ultimately, a revolution had to be a revolution in values. Again, I yeah. think that that connects him to King. It does indeed. He said that people do, people, do, people do not join a revolution, he wrote, so that hatred can triumph after its victory. Mm. Those are words that are not often quoted. Nope. Powerful prose. Powerful prose. He's dead at the age of 36 uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, but uh, the life lived prior to that time. Uh, is worth uh, digging into, and you can do so by reading the book The Rebels Clinic, The Revolutionary Lives of Franz Fanon. We've just really scratched the surface here of this brilliant uh, intellectual. Uh, Adam Schatz, what, what a great piece of work, man, and I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Thank you for your time. All the best to you, sir. So have I. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. George Fraser, when we come forward, on Tavis Smiley.